You're listening to Eye on the Ball with Steve Rivera. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera, and in with me is Tom Callahan. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, Steve. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Got a big show today. At least I'd like to think it's a big show. We have a pretty premier cyclist, a female, Emma Grant. She did some remarkable things yesterday or last night. Um, if I did what or attempted to do what she did, I'd be... Uh, uh, I'd be in bed for about two months. Uh, she um, rode up Mount Lemon four times, up and back. Uh, it's called the uh, uh, Mount. It's uh, it's called. <laughs> I'll let her describe what it's called. But uh, close to twenty nine thousand feet up and back um, for charity. We'll have her talk about it. An Everest, I think that's what it is. An Everest, I think that's what it is. And then at six thirty, six thirty two, we're going to have former U of A basketball, men's basketball coach, assistant coach, um, Jesse Evans. I haven't talked to Jesse in forever, uh, maybe 20 years probably, about. Uh, he left U of A, got a, a head coaching job in Louisiana with the Raging Cajuns and then moved from there to San Francisco. And I don't don't think he's in coaching anymore. And this is, uh, he's got to be about 70, I think. I, I'll ask him. But uh, one of the great recruiters here under Loot. Uh, brought Khalid Reeves here, and uh, we'll talk to him, what he's up to, go back into the days of the 97 title, and in those great years of the mid-90s when he was here, early to mid-90s, and uh, have some fun with that. So, uh, how's it going? Sports is uh, still not around, is it there, Tom? No, and you know, it, it's funny, Steve, we all hear about these these COVID-19 related layoffs and furloughs in all walks of life. And today, um, the WWE let go some of its talent, uh, both behind the the scenes and in front. Uh, A bunch of wrestlers were either furloughed or just outright let go. Even a referee, one of the longest tenure they had had. So it's hitting everybody at this point, and it's it's tough. Uh, Who knows when we will go back to whatever normal will be. Uh, I don't think it'll be the same, but who knows how long it's going to be before we actually get a chance to return to it and life continues but it's just changing every day no question i think we talked about this yesterday uh your normal and my normal are different than other people's normal because of money um, levels of money tax brackets stuff like that wwe letting people go i mean they make a a ton of money obviously uh, but everybody has their different circumstances and you must follow that because you brought that up a few times already wwe at least I actually, so I used to be a huge wrestling fan when I was a teenager. I don't actually follow the sport anymore, but I have a friend who's a pro wrestler. So anytime I see anything related to it, I check in uh, to see what the news is. And unfortunately, he was one of the ones that got let go today. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Hey, did you see anywhere? I'm kind of looking through the wires stuff and I saw something this morning that golf uh, might be trying to come back here in a month or two or a couple months. Which makes sense, if you think about it, uh, because 
golf, you don't need the galleries. I mean, it's nice uh, to have the people there, but golf is mostly a televised sport. Um, You know, it's easier to follow the tournament that way. There is a good bit of social distancing that happens just naturally within golf itself. I believe that of all the sports that are out there, Steve, professional golf, men's and women's, could make the easiest, quote-unquote, easiest comeback. And you know what? The ratings would be through the roof because people are dying for anything right now. I truly believe if golf came back first, people would watch in droves, and hopefully the PGA could take advantage of that and LPGA. Yeah, no question. In fact, uh, I saw a lot of posts over the weekend because the Masters would have been, I think, this weekend, uh, this last weekend, and uh, everybody was talking about the Tiger um, situation from last year where he came back and won, where he won it, and uh, he brought some tears to some people's eyes because uh, a lot of people love Tiger, love to see him succeed, and and last year he came back and did really well in the Masters, in fact, winning it. Um, Are you a big golf guy? I am. I actually uh, played in high school and college, uh, so big golf guy. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. That I hurt my back. Did you golf, hockey? Yeah. I used to play a lot of of different sports, Steve. I wasn't good at any of them, but I played a lot of them. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you were okay. You don't just do things just to do things, especially golf. Golf to me is the worst because I, I I'm horrible at it, like horrible, horrible at it. Um, and uh, you know, like I said yesterday, the only people having to worry about getting close to me are the snakes and the people in the rough because <laughs> um, I don't go in the fairway. That's for darn sure. Well, that's, uh, you know what, I've heard people say all kinds of fun stuff about golf, but, you know, I shared my secret with you, Steve, and and maybe way back in the beginning when I first joined the show, um, I just don't keep score, Mm -hmm. and I enjoy the sport so much more now, because if if the ball goes into rattlesnake territory, I drop it and hit another one, and I could care less. (laughs) Except for the fact that that golf ball that went in the woods is five bucks. (laughs) Uh, the funny thing is, I think you talked about your, your, you know, keeping it in the fairway. It didn't matter if it hit far. I can't remember the analogy you put. You, you kind of compared it to life. Uh, boy, I'd, I'd have to really try to remember what I was thinking. But Go back? Yeah. That's, you you, you kind of use the analogy of life, you know, kind of keep it steady, keep it straight. Blah, blah, I can't remember. Uh, I'm too old now. Yeah. You know that, Tom. I, you know, it's it's funny. That reminds me of something okay. that I used to play golf with a, a bunch of uh, senior age men when I was just starting out when I was a kid because I played with my grandfather. And, you know, it was funny to hear them talk about golf as a metaphor for life all the time. And a lot of them just at the end of the day, they could beat you because they only hit it 150 yards, but they hit it straight. They could find the ball every time. And, right. you know, they, they right. would end up just wiping the floor with you. Maybe that's another metaphor for life. Keep it that simple, would stupid. Be me. <laughs> that, that, that would be me if there wasn't any water or cactus or stuff like that. Because I hit it a lot, not that far. Just If I could just hit it straight that, that far and be consistent. Well, I guess that's part of the game, isn't it? Consistent that far. Um, but um, uh, no, I don't play often enough. So I'm looking forward to today's interviews with uh, Emma Grant. Emma Grant, who's a, an elite cyclist in town from England, in fact, uh, part of a group, uh, kind of a pro group that comes here to train for the Olympics and, and other things. Um, uh, a fairly young woman. We'll ask her all that stuff when she gets on the phone. And then again, Jesse Evans at 6.32-ish after the news break there. And then we'll probably come back and talk to more sports um, about whatever the gibberish that we talk to. 
I look forward to the music selection you picked for me. Uh, you've been kind of pretty good, spot on, lady. So you, you, why don't we just take the break now? Okay. We'll call Emma. Is that cool? Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Thank you, there, Tom. Let's take a break here on 1030 The Voice. Hey, welcome back, back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. And now on the phone, I have cyclist, uh, premier cyclist, Emma Grant. How are you, Emma? Hi, I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Good, good, good. I was telling the, the listeners uh, before you came on that had I done what you'd done, I'd probably be uh, embedded for about a month just to get unsore. How do you feel today? I feel remarkably okay, I think, but I'm sort of expecting tomorrow it's really going to hit me. I think maybe I'm just running off the bars of yesterday's epic day. Yes, yes. So let's tell the listeners what you did. You did something called an Everest, correct? And uh, you tell me how many uh, feet you climbed uh, throughout the day and how many times you went up Mount Lemmon. So the goal of Everesting is to um, ascend the equivalent elevation of Mount Lemmon. So that was 8,845 meters, which in American feet is just shy of 30,000. Um, so that meant doing reps of Mount Lemmon from mile zero to the observatory four times. Four times, and did you get that completed? I think I saw on Facebook that you did, in fact, get it done. I did. I went 20 meters over, in fact. <laughs> how, how, how long did that take you? Um, it was just under 15 hours of riding time, but with stops, I think that it was 16 hours. That was something like two, 200, 200, 200 miles, correct? How many miles? Yeah, I think so. I, I run in kilometers, but I think it was about 200 miles, yeah. About 200 miles, okay. Which, which, of course, people would say, why in the world would you do this? Of course, I know why you would do it. It's for a, for a charity called No Kid Hungry. Tell me, what got you involved with that, and why did you decide to do that? Um, when all our races started being cancelled. Um, I was struggling to find a purpose for training, so I wanted to do something cool for charity and walking around the grocery store, seeing all the barren shelves and contrasting that with kids off school not being, that rely on going to school to get their hot meal for the day. It made me want to do something to help in that in that space. Um, so then I got in touch with my team owner, Nicola, and... Um, we started scheming, and she had a good connection with the charity No Kids Hungry, so then it kind of escalated from there. Very nice, very nice. And you think your goal was $8,000. Did you uh, meet it? Are you over it? Are you just under it? I think I'm 80% of the way, so I'm hopeful. <laughs> 80% of the way. That's nice, nice, nice. So where could people go if they want to contribute to your cause? So if they... Find me on social media. For example, Instagram, I'm at emgrant, the number one. Um, there's a link in my bio to my fundraising page. Yes. And also my team, my second team, Team 2020. Um, they have been plugging it pretty hard the last few days, so you'll, they'll find the link to the fundraiser there as well. 
Emma. In fact, I wrote a story last week about it. It was pretty pretty exciting. I was kind of amazed by what you were doing. But go ahead, Tom. Ask your question. Sure. I I had a question about this. Just listening to you talk to Steve and, and these amazing numbers, my question is, how long does it take you to build up to something like this? How do you train for that? Because we hear about, you know, these hyper marathoners and hyper milers and people who do all the long distance riding. Can you can you talk a little bit about that process? I think it wasn't something I've trained for specifically, but over the years as I've developed as an endurance athlete, I've just continued to improve my aerobic capacity. So I've just gotten better at enduring longer and longer distances. Um, and it's honestly kind of mind over muscle and just fueling right for the for the duration. That's where you can really go wrong. Um, and then just, yeah, the willpower when you know you're doing it for a good cause. It. Uh, I know you guys do this for a living. You're one of the premier uh, athletes, cyclists. Was there a point, and let's be a dumb question, because uh, just because I asked dumb questions, was there a point you said, what am I doing? Because <laughs> it's an incredible feat to do this up and back, up and back. Yes. When I set my alarm for 2.45 a.m., and I think I'd only set for maybe two hours tops, and we were rolling out the door, and I was like, this is is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time, not during the event? Yeah. Uh, the more I got into it, the more I got into it. It was, yeah, my 3 a.m. trying to force feed myself some oatmeal. That was the real, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you chose to do Well, that's, that's also, I know you're a young woman. How? I'll ask the ungentlemanlike question. How old are you? And uh, you, you're obviously fit. And what are you doing in the States? You have, obviously have an accent. So tell us where you're from. I am 28, and I'm from near Oxford in England. And my team, Team 2020, is an American-based cycling team. So I came out here for our team training camp and was planning to be based in the U.S. for the race season this year, um, but everything's kind of a little bit up in the air right now, but I'm just here training to train um, and hoping that the races will resume at some point in the latter end of the year, but time will tell. I know it's a good group. I know Nicola uh, Cranmer, the GM of the place, and, and I've done. She's been on the show actually. Uh, you guys are are very good at what you do. Um, so I'm sure that they they help you in terms of competitive or or whatever the word is uh, with the other women, kind of making everybody better. Yeah, Nicola does a really good job of um, providing a really good environment where everyone. Um, raises each other's game and we have such a good track record with Olympians and world champions that it's just a really good environment to thrive in and we have some great sponsors um, on board so yeah we're looked after really well okay yeah no no question so originally you must have gotten here in the winter uh, a few months back and we're ready to take off to be uh, competitive somewhere else and this COVID-19 thing came up and now you're not stuck but you're here in Tucson I am in lockdown in Tucson but to be honest right now it seems like a pretty good place to be hunkered down um, back in the UK they have tighter restrictions and the weather's not so um, tropical, so I think I'm in a good spot here for 
for now. Time will tell. No que- no question. In fact, if you'd go back home and, and tell the people what your experience here in Tucson in mid-April, what the degrees of 75, 80 degrees, they're going to want to all come and join you. I know. You can't be seen to be enjoying life too much. It's not fair, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, what you're doing now, so because you're still preparing, um, you are still got a routine going, I'm sure. Uh, obviously, yesterday was one of those great days of uh, tr- trials and tribulations of doing something for a lot of people and for yourself just to kind of do it and help out. Uh, what's next? Are you going to come back? If you do go back, are you going to come back or hopefully that the competition opens up? Yeah, it's all a little bit up in the air. I'm kind of taking things day by day um i'm still following a semi-structured training plan um and using the time to capitalize on really working on my weaknesses and things um but in terms of a schedule it's yeah very much up in the air i don't really know what to say about that right now but i'll hopefully stick around in tucson a little bit longer yeah, did you? How did you know about Tucson? Uh, maybe through Nicola or, or, or the camp. But um, Tucson is uh, a cycling—I want to say mecca—but it's a place. It's a destination for cyclists. Did you know much about Tucson before you got here? And what are your thoughts on the cycling? Everyone raves about Tucson as a winter training place just because of amazing weather, Mount Lemmon, the community, always having people to train with. And there's a lot of super strong cyclists that are fit all year round and they're just great to train with. Um, so, yeah, that really drew me drew me to Tucson. And then um, I was hooked the first time I came. And I love the dry dry heat and just being able to train really consistently um it just works really well for me in fact in fact you might come back for el tour which the weather could be a little little not not much colder than what it is now if cold is that right word but um 72 probably to be cycling around the uh around the city and uh, maybe on the new route so you might be back Maybe. That would be pretty cool. On our team training camp this year, we did a long recon of the uh, course one day, and it was really good fun. So that would be fun to come back and do that at full pace. In fact, could you give me a quick quote uh, talking about that? I know you didn't ride the complete route, but uh, you did some of it. What did you think of it? We did it on a really windy day, and so it was deceptively hard. Um... But, yeah, I thought it was really cool. It um, If it's windy like that, it'll be gnarly. There's not a lot of hiding. Um, and the desert <laughs> roads are kind of unforgiving, so it, it'll, it'll be a wearing down, tough day out, I'd say. So let's go kind of go back to your your ride yesterday. Um, you did almost 200 miles, uh, 29,000 feet up and back on Mount Lemmon. Um, have you ever done something like that, that ambitious? Not quite on par with that. I've done some solo adventures that I haven't really planned very well, um, quite spontaneously, but... That, I'd say, is probably the most epic thing I've done. Yeah. 
Very nice. And, and again, let's go back and just review um, uh, some of your your your, your thing. Uh, you went up and back for uh, for uh, four times. Uh, the again the um, the charity that you're writing for, and maybe explain uh, why again. Um, I really wanted to do something to help with. Um especially the kids that are off school at the moment and not able to get they are, they're so reliant on that um school meal and um just seeing the level of panic buying and hoarding when um mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. kind of hit it made me really think of the um less privileged people out there that have a different reality and um so yeah, that was kind of where my um, your head was head was at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, we can go to No Kid Hungry to find you there. I think, or go to your your Instagram. You'll see that again, and go to Facebook. Just Emma Grant, correct? Yeah, Instagram is at em grant one, and there's a link in my bio to my fundraising page with No Kids Hungry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you finished yesterday, uh, having never done something like this before, how, how did you feel physically, one, and emotionally, two? Physically, I'd say a little depleted, a little euphoric, which, I don't know, the higher elevation makes me feel that way sometimes. Um, a kind of wired, tired feeling, um and it was pitch black, and it just kind of felt quite surreal being up there um, in the dark. The stars were amazing, and yeah, I, I don't know. I was, yeah, wired, excited, um, but I probably could have carried on longer just chugging away. couldn't have gone any harder, but could have probably carried on going longer. Well, Emma, I appreciate your time. Congratulations. Uh, anybody listening, please go to her site so you can help out with the donations. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thank you. That was Emma Grant, uh, one of the premier cyclists here on the uh, Nicola Cranmer's uh, 2020 cycling team. Uh, let's go take a quick break and come back on the other side here on 1030 The Voice. Hey, welcome back to Iron the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. Now on the phone with me, former U of A assistant coach, Jesse Evans. Coach Evans, how the heck are you? Steve, I'm doing just fine, man. It's about time you get me on your uh, your show. <laughs> well, I know, you know, hey, my apologies. I know I've wanted to, and I see you on Facebook, and I think, I got to get him on, got to get him on. And, well, now you're on. Come on, coach, give me a break. <laughs> well, you know, it's tough times right now, and I was listening to your news. Uh, uh, it's telling everyone uh, social distancing, and, uh, you know, we've got to be very uh, uh, cognizant of what, what's going on out there That with that uh, you know, COVID-19. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, not pleasant at all. You know, this is a new normal, and, and we've got to, um, you know, pay heed to the uh, – uh, health departments and uh, you know what they're what they're uh, talking about. You know, let's let's do our job. Let's let's do what we're supposed to do. Wear a mask, right, when we go out. 
Yes, no question. No question. Be safe. Be healthy. Where, where are you at now? And do, do you did you see the game over the weekend and the weekend before? They've played it a few yeah. times over the years. How many times have you seen the championship game of 97? You know what? I've, I, I I saw it one time, which was the best time, right there on the bench next to uh, uh, Coach Olson <laughs> and, and Phil Johnson and uh, uh, Jim Rosborough. You know, that was the best time to see it. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've caught snippets of it. Um, uh, you know, it's still exciting. It still gives me chills. Uh, that particular team was one – uh, obviously, a, a heck of a basketball team, a heck of a guy. You know, you know, to put that group together, uh, it was exciting. Uh, and then to be led by a freshman, uh, uh, you know, point guard Mike Bibby, it was unbelievable. You know, the the I thought we had other teams that were uh, comparable. Uh, to that 97 team, uh, even the one that uh, went to the Final Four in uh, 94 with uh, with um, uh, Khaled and Damon, uh, Joseph Blair and that group, uh, I thought that team was pretty good. Obviously, the 88 team was really, really nice. Uh, I got a chance to uh, watch that one from in front of the U of A band and, uh, because I hadn't, mm-hmm. had not been named uh, the assistant coach at that particular time. Uh, taking Ricky Bird's own spot, but but yeah, I've, I've watched that game a number of times, uh, just snippets of it, but I, only because I know the outcome. Right, no question. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've seen it a few times. Uh, most recently, a couple weeks ago, I didn't realize, and I saw you on the sidelines a number of times when Lou walked to get his water. I didn't realize yeah. that he drank water all the time when there was pressure. Yeah, he did. You know, and. Uh, you know, he was always cool hand Luke, but, uh, um, uh, but he was, uh, yeah, he, he oftentimes, uh, uh, went to the, um, get a refreshment at that particular time. And, uh, once he walked back, you know, he knew things were in order. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, I picked that, uh, uh, that habit up when I started, uh, you know, my own team, when I had my own, um, um, uh, head coach in the uh, assignments at Louisiana Lafayette and the University of San Francisco. So I used to walk to the end of the bench and, and get some water, but I didn't get the same results that Luke got. <laughs> there was some magic water. How, how fun was your time here? You were here oh, 30 years ago for about seven, <laughs> eight, nine, long? ten years. I uh, did a great job recruiting. I think so, yeah. yes. I think so. Yeah. You know what? When you when you when you look at it like that, it's it's unbelievable. You know, uh, I didn't realize it was that many years, but uh, but I guess you're right. I we started out with the uh, crew of uh, I guess some of the first guys that I did a lot of the heavy lifting as far as recruiting was concerned was uh, uh, Chris Brian Williams uh, uh, that group um, um, mm-hmm. you know with Tony Clark and Khalid Reeves. I, I, I think about some of the names that. That uh, that we brought into the U of A, which was a, a, a relatively easy sale. You know, you got one of the top coaches, if not the top coach in the country, that's going to uh, uh, you know be uh, coaching you uh, in Lute Olson, and then you've got uh, uh, one of the premier universities in uh, University of Arizona. You know, uh, uh, so we had a lot of things going in Tucson. The Tucson community was outstanding. But uh, uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of a lot of great times there. Nine years, and and they all were fun. 
Yeah, no question. Like you talk about the 94, um, 94 team with Khalid, JB, Corey, mm-hmm. McLean, yeah. um, all these guys had that great run, uh, had that great oh, run, yeah. and uh, just came up short too. against Arkansas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we came up short. I remember President Clinton being there. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we mm-hmm. would have an opportunity to meet him uh, at the White House uh, with that 97 team, but I remember him there uh, supporting Arkansas. Um, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was an exciting group, uh, to have, but, you know, one of, one of, to reminisce a little bit, I thought the team with, uh, Brian Williams and Sean Brooks and Ed Stokes, remember the Tucson skyline that I think they named Tucson it. skyline. I yes. You named, yeah. I think you probably named it that, uh, uh, Steve. No, no, it but, was, it was uh, a year before my time, but a strong team. <laughs> But yeah, I thought that team was really strong. You know, uh, didn't we have Chris Mills with that team too? And uh, yes, um, uh, I remember Mulebach. Yeah, Mulebach. I hate to bring up bad times, but didn't we get knocked out by Steve? Uh, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Steve uh, Nash. From Ken- Steve Nash. Steve Nash. Yeah, yeah. Was that the first round, or Steve was that Nash. in? Yeah. That, that- no, that was the that was in '92, I think. Though that team got beat in the second round. To um, we were in Long Beach, and we would have played, or you guys would have played. That we um, it was the Bo Kimball time. Okay, right, right, right. Well, it was in Long Beach. We lost Long to Beach. The, the team that got beat in Long Beach was when we had uh, I think we had Brian Williams and, and that group. Uh, yeah, did mm-hmm. we play Steve uh, Nash up? I thought we played them up north uh, uh, somewhere. We played them in, in Utah, the, uh, Salt Lake. Oh, we played them in Utah. Okay. No, Salt Lake. Yeah, Salt, Salt Lake. Lake. That yeah, was that a team, Chris Mills got into foul trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, boy, you only you won seventeen that. and one, uh, seventeen one in the mm-hmm. conference. Uh, lost, uh, lost. I can't remember which game. California, I think it was. Um, yeah, and then you, uh, Chris Mills, got into foul trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. But uh, but you know we had so many exciting teams there, uh, uh, and you know each and every year I just thought that we were going to have a chance to make a deep. Uh, tournament run is you know the way that Luke always put it together. Uh, uh, team uh, constantly improved from game to game, especially once we started the uh, 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 at that time Pac-10 season. Uh, we were ready, you know, firing on most of our good cylinders at that particular time. And then by the time we got to uh, the end of the season, we were playing pretty well. And and if we could get past that first game. You know, we we, yeah. we were in pretty good business, but we had to get past that first game. Uh, that was always yeah. Tough. No, no. In fact, in, in fact, we talk about that all the time. And even in '97, where where that first game was huge against South Alabama, down by about yeah. ten with about seven minutes left. Jason Terry yeah. comes through, yeah. and then after that, it seemed kind of things went went rolling. Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, uh, we just got a little spark, and uh, I think we. I think we were one of the uh, first um, uh, college teams to, to start to use the three guard offense, and and sometimes I guess you could say we even had four out there when we had JT uh, with Mike and and Miles and uh, uh, Michael Dickerson, and then we have one big guy. Of course, we 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 go with uh, four of those type of perimeter players out there, and we could do that at that particular mm-hmm. time. Uh, but you're right. Once we got yeah, past no South question. Alabama, once we got past South Alabama, uh, we were rolling in until we met. Remember God's same uh, God's uh, 
Sam God in uh, against Shum, Providence. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. You know, overtime. You know, we were we were beating those guys, and then all of a sudden he got hot. And uh, uh, who was the big guy that played in the pros? Crochier. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. I remember they had Sham God, and then they had that big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, um, from actually, he was from the West Coast. Also, uh, Crochier, I think, was his name, uh, last name. Anyway, yeah, we go to overtime in order to go to the Final Four. You know, unbelievable. Right, no unbelievable. question. And the and the big game. You know, the one thing I wanted to ask you back in the day, uh, you had the skyline with Brian Williams and and Rooks and, and Stokes. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that uh, did was he was able to transition realizing that okay that wasn't working let's go small and run yeah yeah well you know he was he was so innovative um our coach was and uh, um you know he just knew you know we brought in the players and you know a lot of times coaches say that uh the kids had to adjust to them but Luke was the tight. Now we had a system. We often ran uh, two in and uh, you know three out, um, uh, and then we'd run a play every time, possibly that the uh, referee would uh, handle the ball after a timeout or um, uh, you know an out of bound some type of out of bound situation. We we may run a play, but um, uh, but yeah, we had we had you know good big guys. Uh, at the time, and so we ran a, a lot of our offense through them. But then, as we started to get um, uh, players like uh, Khalid and, and you know and Damon and um, uh, some of the guys that that, that came Reggie. You know, came afterwards. Oh you know, yeah, Reggie, Reggie, Gary, and you know obviously with Mike, uh, Bibby, and uh, Jason Terry and those guys, we started to evolve into a different type of system. Matter of fact, we really started to. Uh, 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 highlight the three-point shot over in um, uh, the Maui Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went with Damon, Maui. Uh, Maui. Reggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, Damon, Reggie, and uh, Khalid. And remember, we should have beaten Kentucky over there, but the last second shot, I get on Khalid all the time about not boxing out. Uh, on <laughs> boxing boxing out, right. <laughs> Yeah, we we laugh about that all the time. We should have won the Maui Classic, but uh, uh, that team really caught fire at that time because it showed us that we could play with anyone. But yeah, Lou would always uh, was so innovative. Uh, uh, was starting to use his uh, perimeter players more more so than his uh, than his inside players. Uh, although we did put them to use also. You know, we incorporated everyone, but it was a team game, and and we played it well. We did it well. What was the last time you talked to Khalid, and how was he doing? Uh, Khalid? Yes. I, I, I knew, did you say Khalid? Yeah, I spoke with him about about a month, month and a half ago. He's got a family. He has his family there uh, in uh, in Jersey now. Uh, he lives over in New, uh, New Jersey. He's got uh, uh, two young ones, and uh, he's um, uh, he's a father. You know, he's playing the uh, the father role and uh, matured a little bit, uh, a lot, should I say? Uh, but he's doing fine. He's doing fine. I had a chance to speak with him uh, maybe about a month ago. Matter of fact, I've got to call him, ask him how he's doing, uh, even now. 
say hello for me. I, I saw him on Facebook with a great photo with him and Damon, uh, maybe yeah. a few months back. And I'm thinking that crew that crew is still is still one of the best groups of guys. Yeah. And um, I had a fun time back then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Don't forget. I think Dylan Rigdon was with that team too. Now, don't forget my man Dylan. Yes, <laughs> from modern day, one yes. of the other guys. Actually, actually, <laughs> he, he his name came back to me about a week ago. Someone asked me uh, off the top of your head who was one of the best transfers in in Arizona in the last twenty thirty years, and there haven't been very many transfers that have been successful, but Dylan, Dylan came in and shot free throws and did really well from his transfer. Oh, no. Dylan could really score, you know. And I tell you what, he was a great locker room guy also. Uh, Dylan was always positive, uh, uh, you know, and he was, he was very capable. Anytime he had an opportunity to play, uh, he, you know, he played and played well. But, you know, speaking of our transfers, I know I think of someone like I remember bringing, uh, helping to bring in, uh, you know, Ben Davis, uh, and then of course Bennett Davison was really from Sebastopol uh, mm-hmm. uh, at the JC. There, um, uh, he was, you know, he, he was he was something special. But then Mills Brian Williams as transfers also. But uh, uh, yeah, no, no question. It, well, Bennett Bennett was a JC guy. Jason, mm-hmm. uh, but Dylan was a guy from like where did he come from? California somewhere? Ah, uh, you know what? I believe he was at a JC at the time that we brought him in and uh, transferred over. Oh, I thought uh, he was like Santa Barbara. Uh, he may have been. He may have been. But I remember Greg, Coach McKnight uh, telling me about him, and uh, you know he fit um, uh, uh, a position or spot that we had open on the. Uh, on our squad and, uh, you know, fit in very, very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been uh, 25 years, almost 30 years now. What, uh, give me a, give me a, your time here and how you felt about it or how you feel about it looking back. Oh, you know, it was just, it was marvelous. Like I said, I took the position uh, with uh, Coach Coach Olson had talked to me about it prior to the, uh, championship, uh, not championship. I guess it was a semifinal game against Oklahoma uh, back in '88. And I, at the time, I was an assistant coach at the University of Texas. I thought I was going to stay there. Uh, I planned to stay there with uh, Coach Penders. Uh, we had a good team. Had a couple of kids sitting out. And eventually, they became that BMW group that they called. I, I believe they went to the Sweet 16. Uh, but we had a really good team there at the University of Texas. Uh, but uh, talking with Coach Olsen, uh pretty much knew that I was going to take the position there uh, with Arizona. So when I came in, um, matter of fact, that last year was Sean Elliott and Anthony Cook and and that Harvey Mason and that group of guys, uh, that team was a heck of a team. I believe we got knocked out in the uh, Sweet 16 with uh, uh, Vegas. You know, Vegas beat us on the last Vegas. second shot. Vegas, yeah. Yeah, in Denver. And uh, so it was my the, time there. It was the uh, the yeah, no question, no I question. Hear, I Jesse, hear you I appreciate well. your time. We're going to have you back on soon. Okay, well, it sounds like a, sounds like a plan, uh, uh, Steve. I really appreciate it, uh, and always remember, bear down. Bear down. Thank you very much, Jesse. We'll get back with you. We've got to take a break real quick. I uh, appreciate it. We'll get back with you. Thank you, Jesse. Take care. Okay, you best, Steve. Take Let's care. come back Bye-bye. here on ten thirty. The voice. Thanks. Thank you, Jess.
Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. Now we have a special guest here for a couple of minutes, uh, Damien Alexander. I had Emma Grant here who ride a road uh, 200 miles yesterday up and back on uh, Mount Lemmon. Uh, Damien, you did 100 miles and you're just off the course now. What was going on? Yeah, I'm still uh, riding. Actually, I'm just about a mile from finishing up, and I unfortunately missed the count, the uh, call in with Emma. But uh, super excited that she was able to do a little Everston up on Mount Lemon. Uh, she called me about a week ago and asked who I knew that had done it before. So I hooked her up with Ben Dodge. So I uh, love how tight knit the cycling community is, and thanks a lot for having her on and hearing her story. Yeah, it was great. It was great to have her. It's a very huge accomplishment, raised a lot of money. Tell me about you. You're up up and back or up and around the city uh, trying to raise money for nonprofits? Yeah, more than raising money, I'm trying to bring awareness that tonight, uh, the 15th of April, 2020, is the last uh, night to, do- to donate for 2019 taxes to the qualified foster organizations and qualified charitable organizations at the city, uh, public, and private schools. So uh, you talk to your CPA, but it's close to $4,000 as a married couple that you can donate. And that money is right off of what you pay in state income tax. So you can direct your money. And right now the message I'm trying to spread is keep things local, uh, give local, and we're going to get through what we're going through because we support each other. And, you know, El Tour to Tucson is an example. Uh, you know, they do a lot for charities. And, uh, you know, the registration's opening up this week. And as a community, we need to register. It's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, we have a plan in case it doesn't happen. So that's just kind of what I'm trying to do, Steve. Right, right. So 100 miles, how long has it taken you? And uh, how do you feel? I feel really good. It has taken me a lot longer than I anticipated because I'm in Sabino Canyon riding in the parking lot doing circles. And I volunteer with the Forest Service, too, so I'm in uniform. So I probably spent about four or five hours a day talking to people who had questions. So I've been out here since 8 a.m., <laughs> and I'm about half a mile from finishing right now. Very nice, very nice. Well, thanks for what you do. Be safe. It's almost it's dark, getting dark here, so we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a bunch, Damien. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, Damien. That was Damien Alexander, a local advocate for a lot of different things and a big-time cyclist locally here. Tom, how are you? Are we good? We're good on time, aren't we? You know, it helps if I turn my mic on. We are good on time, Steve. We've got a couple of minutes to chat about whatever you would like to talk about. Yes, yes. It was good to talk to Damien, but it was good to talk to um, Coach Evans. I hadn't talked to him in forever. He was uh, here for like, I don't know, nine, ten years, like I said. And he he had that great spread or, or spread of time uh, from 89, I think it was, after the 88 Final Four to, uh, with Sean Elliott and Khalid and Brian Williams, Chris Mills, that group of very, very good basketball players, uh, uh, Damon, uh, Reggie, uh, Bibby, Miles, all this group of like the glory days of UA football, UA basketball when they went to the Final Four two or three times and um, uh, people still talk about it. I'm still talking about it. 
You know, Steve, it's I and I love stories. I love hearing people's stories who were there, uh, what they went through, what their experience was. I always love that stuff. And so anytime you have a guest on that can tell, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who lived it, uh, who watched the game and who are a part of it. But you know what? May not know some of the behind the scenes or, or in this case, on the bench stuff that took place. It's always fantastic <laughs> to have people tell those those stories from their perspective. Yeah, no question. It's funny how he's put that. He says, uh, I didn't need to see the replays. I was there in the front row uh, for all that time. I, I lived I saw it. saw him all the time, too. <laughs> I lived it. I don't have to go back and see it. Yeah, that's, uh, you and know. It was a great time. It was a great time. And, and uh, I mean, he just rolled through, too. You guys just rolled through so many different games, so many different players, so many scenarios for that team. It's just, it, it's great to hear, especially if you're a diehard and a longtime U of A fan. Yeah, no question. The people who have been in town for a long time talk about that time, uh, obviously, all the time. There's still T-shirts being worn and and uh, probably saved somewhere in a drawer or in a box somewhere. Obviously, I, I think I have a, one or two uh, somewhere or in a blanket, something. Uh, but, uh, you know, it kind of started back in 80, 86, 87, 88, uh, and then people kind of don't don't forget it, or how can you, they don't let it go? And we talked about it. Arizona being a, a basketball school and the city being a basketball town, I I still kind of kind of debate that a little now because the success hasn't been there for a while. You know, we've talked about it a number of times. And, you know, success obviously is one of those things that makes you feel better about the program and where you're going. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wonder, Steve, this pause we're on is, is I guess, is some of the nomenclature for it. Um, will this give people their rose-colored glasses about things back, or will we go right back to being cynical on the other side of all this? Oh, man. Um that's a that's a good question, and you're talking specific to basketball. Well, I think in general, I'm I'm wondering if right now, you know, the the glasses are rosier in hindsight when you look back at some of these things, or even oh, sure. the state of the program now. When you're thinking, boy, I have nothing in front of me. I would much rather have something. <laughs> I I totally get it now. Um, I don't know. That's a tough. That's a tough question. I think the the fans will be the fans and 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 stick behind uh, the success. The people with uh, pragmatic minds will say, well, what have you done for me lately? And uh, it hasn't been as good as it used to be. Uh, I kind of agree with that the last five years. Um, but uh, we all hang on to what we have to hang on to, you know, to remember the glory days. Yeah, well, it, it's like the Bruce Springsteen song, speaking of which, the glory days. Boy, that uh, seems to be what, what sometimes you just have to rewind to and you live them, you live them over and you enjoy and cherish those moments because, quite frankly, they only one team can win every year and they don't come around that often sometimes. Right, no question. I think you were, we only have a couple minutes, I know this, but um, I'm sure you've followed teams uh, in your capacity with the hockey team that finished second. I think maybe we talked about this, that finished second. And there's no shame in finishing second. I know you don't win it, but all those teams that wish they had gone to the title game and didn't make it, uh, second, like the 2001 team, a team that I consider to be the best here ever, uh, finished second to Duke, and no shame in that. No, you know what's interesting, Steve, and just in terms of the Olympics here in this last minute that we've got real quick, um, you often see teams or individuals, um, but I guess teams, that win a bronze medal feel better about themselves than the teams that end up with silver because to get silver, you have to lose that last game. Right. But to get bronze, you got to right. win. 
Right. No question. I, I, I totally get that. Uh, I'll take the silver. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> very good. But that's a good analogy. I think you're right. You, if you feel good because you won the last game of the year, at least your last game of the year, and the, uh, and the first place team is, is uh, somewhere else enjoying their fruits. But um, uh, no slouch in second when you have 300 teams, 100 teams playing for the title. So good, good show today, Tom. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, Steve. It's great. always great, and the guests were fantastic today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have a good guest tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, uh, good to hear from you, Tom, and thanks for everybody for being on the show and listening. Here we go. Take care. <laughs>